Hello and welcome to Rain City Bunker. My name is Greg Moon. I'm with my friend and podcast mate, Andy Brown. Howdy. And this is our special Halloween episode. Uh, this is our episode 26 of Rain City Bunker. And we always look forward to our Halloween episode every year. Oh, yeah. So we were going to start out with just a quick follow-up of last episode where we were talking about the Ebola. Because it's still on everybody's mind. Yes. So we just would do a quick uh, follow-up on the Ebola stories that are going out there. And most of the stuff, Andy, seems to be pretty positive so far. Yeah. Um, besides the guy who came from Liberia who died, you know, they, everybody else has been successfully treated, I think. Yes. How, how many other cases total have there been? I don't know, but there was the uh, Vietnamese nurse. She was taken from Dallas. She had treated Duncan. And then I think the two doctors that came prior to him. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. So they recovered. And this seems to me that the nurse recovered fairly quickly, yeah, they, which was. She's already out doing publicity yeah. photos. Yeah. She hugged the not, president. Yeah. She went to the White yeah. House and hugged the president. So very good news. She was a young lady, 26, yeah. is a young lady, 26 years old. Yeah. So that was great news that she recovered. And the most recent one is the doctor in New York City um, who uh, he, he had done a bunch of stuff like he'd gone on the subway, he'd gone bowling and everything, but he got in and got treatment. I, I was saying to... Well, he's in currently, he was diagnosed with Ebola and he correct, is now yes. in a hospital in New York City yes. getting treatment. Yes, Manhattan Hospital, I believe. I was mentioning to Greg that the family and the girlfriend that the guy in Dallas, Texas visited so far have not uh, been diagnosed with Ebola. And I think, have they gone past the quarantine time yet? Yes, they're out of quarantine. That is really good news because they were probably in fairly close proximity to Duncan. So that's very hopeful. Yeah. It, it, maybe they're right about it not being as contagious as some people fear. Right, right. But the one thing that's really interesting, Andy, is this doctor who had volunteered. I believe he was a volunteer in West Africa, which is a great thing. And he came back, but they did not put him in quarantine. And he was taking the subway. He went bowling and he went jogging. You know, and we had talked in our, our last episode about how we think that they should be cautious. Right. So, I mean, he hopefully and he wasn't ex exhibiting symptoms when he was doing these things. And they said that you're not contagious at that point. But still, right. doesn't it seem just kind of prudent if you're there volunteering and you come back that you go through a three week quarantine. Yeah. Or, or as, as I was saying to Greg, maybe in a, um, a modified quarantine where, you know, you, you just are prudent about like you, you were saying, prudent about what you do and don't go to crowds or, right, or right. kind of stay, go for a walk, but don't <laughs> go in a crowd or right. a populated area. The, uh, the other thing too, I remember Greg, that I was, I was talking about another treatment, another antiviral treatment mm -hmm. that was unusual. And I said, I would talk about it a little more essentially what it is. I mean, I'll just break it down to its, its essence. Uh, it is, it's a, um, they're using nano nano spheres that are metallic. They attach somehow a protein to them mm -hmm. that, that it's very similar to the, the filter thing that we were talking about. And it binds with the the virus, and then they can you they can magnetically pull out the particles. Out. Wow! Yeah, yeah. So these are the sort of medical things I'm really fascinated. Not not you know. There's a, sadly there's also people who are doing a lot of um, quack medicine. You know, people are saying like take vitamin C and so <laughs> forth. And, and you know, I, I, I'm not really interested in that stuff. I'm I'm interested in stuff that's 
that's a little outside of conventional thinking. However, it's got a strong base. Well, kind of leading edge, and, and yeah. the nanotechnology is a real technology, but we're still kind of new in the to, infancy of it yeah. to nanotechnology. But it could be extremely powerful. Yeah, tool once we. I mean, they, we are using it for some things, but using it for something for biomedicine yeah. would be. So that's <laughs> that's the real world scary stuff that's going on. But you know, I don't think it's. We kind of wanted to offer a little bit of more, you know, hopeful and and rational view of the the Ebola thing that's going on. And we can post. We can also post Max Brooks, uh, who wrote World War Z. I thought he wrote a really great piece because people are like, you know, comparing the Ebola to his fictional Z virus that's in the World War Z, which is about zombies. And he wrote a whole piece where he basically said, no, it's it's not anything like that. Thank God. And he said, actually, in the real world, people are responding in a much better way than he thought fictionally they would respond. So anyway, that's 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 yeah, just a kind of a quick follow up. And hopefully we don't hopefully it just goes away. And yeah. We don't even worry about it. But yeah. if it keeps happening, we'll talk about it as right, it goes. Right. But we want to shift gears to the main focus of this podcast, which is Halloween. Halloween, Yes. And Andy's sister had a super interesting story and it, it's really good and Halloweeny and creepy. So Andy's yeah. going to read that story from his sister. So what got me thinking about this is there's been a, a, a new there's a new movie out about the Ouija board and a lot of a lot of the shows that I listen to and stuff they're talking probably in conjunction with this movie trying to you know build some hype up talk about the Ouija board. I uh, never have thought that it's that it's that frightening. I I had a Ouija board. In fact, the story I'm going to tell I think my sister was using my Ouija board that I got when I was in junior high, maybe, and used it, never had anything really unusual happen. I think I've talked about this before. One of the times I used it was with a it, one summer with a friend of mine was, who was there. I think it was, there was three of us and he had gotten a football injury. He'd already had the injury mm-hmm. and he was wondering, he's like, when will I go back to play football? And in the, the Ouija board said something like four weeks, and he said, oh, no, doctor said it's just going to be like two weeks or something. And then he went and found out he had like a hairline fracture or something like that. And it, it extended to four weeks. Wow. I'm not sure I remember that, but that's yeah, I kind of like we, maybe we hadn't talked about it. Kind of. Well, I'm sure at some point in our history you did, but it, that's kind of creepy yeah. or it's kind of mysterious. I guess yes. not necessarily creepy, but mysterious that the Ouija board would tell him or you guys yeah. something different than what he had been told correct and you know i mean the ouija board has been around since the late 1800s at least and it had uh, incarnations prior to that you know people called them spirit boards the ouija board was the mass-produced commercialized version of it and it has an actually kind of interesting history of itself like you know there were lawsuits over who developed it and so forth and so on and it was parker brothers and now i think it's another game company oh okay and uh, like I said, the movie who's come that has come out. The and is this movie recent? I I'm yeah, not it's, sure. it's is, a brand is it out now or it's coming called, out? It's called Ouija. Yeah, it, it's out it? right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I hadn't heard about that. And um, the most of the fears about Ouija can be traced to the movie uh, The Exorcist because th- that's how the the character. The girl character, I can't remember her name. That's how she brings in the demon as she's playing with a Ouija board. Oh. So that's what that's where a lot of people who who study the history of Ouija have found that anxiety about, you know, possession and all that kind of stuff. That's when it really started. Before that, it was really 
mostly viewed as just kind of a fun parlor game and and or you know during the spiritual spiritualist era in the united states it was seen as a as a tool you know that uh that but not as not as anything sinister <clears throat> but all these people talking about ouija board has made me remember that my sister had an interesting story and i asked her to uh tell me about it and this is from an email that she sent me and um she you know she had a different experience with it and it was a little creepy we lived we lived in a house i was telling greg right before the show the house that we lived in connecticut was built in like maybe the 1960s uh as part of a development there a lot of them were very similar they had a very similar layout and everything Mm -hmm. but the land that it had built on had been from my understanding had been tobacco plantations tobacco farms and prior to that, going way back in the history of the town, it had been Native American territory. They, I think they they farmed there and had settlements there. So it has a it has a long history. It's not it wasn't just something that was kind of developed in the the 1950s or 60s and then you know that sort of thing. And it, it did always have a creepy feeling. I, my family had a little rough luck while we were there. Um, you know, my dad uh, shortly after we moved to Connecticut. He was diagnosed with cancer and then uh, lasted maybe about a year and died. And then my grandfather was visiting and died there as well. So some some of this was probably influenced by the negative mm-hmm. feelings that we had about that place, even though we were there for many years. So at any rate, this is my sister's story, and I'll just read it straight as she wrote it. It must have been in the fall of my freshman or sophomore year of high school. I don't remember exactly who was there, but given the time period, it was probably Heather, Jen, and Mita. It was early evening in the living room of, at our, of our house in Simsbury. We decided to pull out the Ouija board for lack of anything else to do. No cable, and it was the 1980s, so no internet either. The only one of the girls that seemed to take it seriously was Mita. Her parents took the idea of the spiritual very seriously and had warned her never invite spirits or allow them to identify you for fear of being haunted or possessed. I believe Mita was a Sikh. Uh, I'm not positive on that, but I think she was uh, from From India, from India, a Sikh family. This was so long ago that so many of the details are fuzzy, but it was something like that. Because Mita was uneasy about participating, Jen and Heather started again, I think, but not totally sure. And nothing happened. I then tried playing with Heather and again, nothing happened. Then everyone finally convinced Mita to try. This brought on much giggling because she said that the only way she would participate was if she had some sort of disguise. So she laid a napkin over the top of her head and held it in place with a toothpick. That detail I remember clearly because it was hilarious. I'm not sure why she felt a napkin over the top of her head would help, but I seem to recall it had something to do with her belief that the spirits viewed and entered from above. So Mita and I sat cross-legged across from each other with our hands over the pointer thing. It's called a planchette, just in case anybody wants to know. Don't remember what it's called, she said. While Heather and Jen were sitting on the couch, still loudly giggling about Mita's napkin, even I was only paying partial attention to the Ouija board, but Mita was completely focused and started asking questions. I finally focused, and that's when it started to move. We were asking the same stupid questions everyone asks when using a Ouija board. Is there a spirit in the house? And it very slowly moved to yes. That was a bit shocking and seemed to surprise everyone. At that point, Jen and Heather started paying attention. We all tried like hell to catch one of us touching the pointer, but neither of us were. Now, that, now th- th- as an aside, we're not, we're not really sure I can clarify that with uh, my sister. 
later. So what she's asserting is that the pointer, the planchette, yeah. was moving on its own without oh, them touching it. That's what it seems like. Because, but I'll, I'll clarify that. Okay. Yeah. And there's a little bit of in here that, that kind of okay. speaks to that. We're almost done. Yeah. Then I asked, what is your name? And the pointer moved a little faster. At this point, we were all quiet. First, it moved to S, then to T, then to E. And she says to me, I think you get where I'm going with this. And I was just telling Greg, my father's name was Stu, and he spelled it S-T-E-W. And before I could go any further, I stood up and put the board away. I don't blame her on that. Everyone was silent for a couple minutes, and we didn't, we didn't talk much about it until later in the evening. I often tell myself that I made it up. There's something uniquely ghostly about Connecticut in the fall, and it, it is easy to get carried away. But I know there was a moment that Mita and I both had our hands a good three or four inches above the pointer, and it kept moving. There were so many things about that house in Simsbury that were ghostly. Those days when you would come home and walk through the door and it felt like there was anger in the air. Cuddles, that was our dog. Cuddles barking and begging at that corner in the basement. John, this is a friend of mine, she says his last name, but I'll leave it out. John, picking that dart from the rag doll of Cassie's, that's our older sister, in the basement. And the time mom heard someone walking down the hall only to find no one else in the house. Shortly before we moved to Seattle, I was asleep in my bed and someone brushed up against my cheek and whispered my name. I didn't feel threatened, but I will admit that it freaked me out a bit. Uh, the, the, the dart in the doll that she's talking about. And that's that, the end of her email. That's right? the end of the email. What she's talking about is I, this John guy that she's talking about was a friend of mine and we would hang out in the basement. My friends and I would always hang out in the basement. I, I moved my, was room. it a finished basement with the it TV was a finished and stuff? basement, but it tended to get damp and their crickets would go in there and stuff like that. So I actually tried moving my room down there and it was just too uncomfortable. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not talking from a haunted perspective. It was just, it was too damp and yeah, you know, yeah. but it was finished. You know, we had carpeting down there and stuff. And there were bookcases and everything. It just was a place when you're kind of like the seventies show. They hung out yeah, in the basement. It, that's exactly <laughs> what it was like. It wasn't quite as bad as the foreman's house, but it was, you know, it, you know, it was, you know, it was somewhat like that. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a grungy basement. Uh, uh, so the, the friend she's talking about, I had a few friends over and we were always now understand we, we would always tell scary stories down there. We would talk about what, what would you do if, you know, you know, that, that kind of thing. And this is probably, we were probably about freshmen, maybe in high school. school, It would have been around that time. And my friend, John, who had a flair for the dramatic, who actually went on to an acting career. He was a soap opera actor for a while. He, he started doing this thing where he, he got really serious and he was like, there's something not right. And he kind of went around the room, like almost like how you'd imagine a psychic to do. (laughs) And down in the stairs, there was like a raggedy and doll that was maybe about like three or no, it was about four feet tall. It was belonged to my sister. We'd had it forever. And it had like orange yarn hair, kind of thick orange uh-huh. yarn hair. And eventually John zeroed in on the doll. Like he was looking at it really intensely and he reached into the doll's hair and he pulled out this blowgun dart we somehow got our hands on blow on a set of blowguns and we would just shoot those things all over the place wow but he hadn't he hadn't played with the blowgun so i I know it wasn't him and he didn't have a chance to set this up and the blowgun darts they were they were just wire and then they were tipped with a little bead a little orange bead and i'm telling you dude i mean he might have seen it 
but it it was i didn't see it, it until he reached it seemed real psychic yeah it seemed like that and um and he swore he's like no i just was drawn to that it was something was drawn wow. drawing me to that so that's what she's talking about yeah that's that story so uh you know greg and i were just going to talk a little bit about our childhood halloween yeah. and this time of year but i want to throw in something though because yeah, when holly said in her email when uh, i think before she left for seattle that she felt like someone or something yeah. brushed up on her and whispered her name yeah i think uh, i've mentioned on the show before but when i took my trip around the country in 08 yeah. i stayed in my cousin's house in new hampshire and that house was built in the se- late oh, 1700s yeah. yeah yeah and it was kind of interesting evening because my cousin's wife told me several stories about weird haunting things like things were moving and stuff and my cousin totally denied he said no no you have it wrong or you know he was counteracting her claims that oh i think this moved he said no there's an explanation for that so he was real rational she was really a believer quote unquote about the haunting in the house but as you can imagine (laughs) it kind of you know i'm not a real believer i try to be skeptical but that night as the first night i think that was the first night i was there i think i said two or three nights was going to sleep in the room and I swear that I felt a presence really close to Boy, my face. Yeah. Like as if someone was putting their face next to my face, Ugh. you know, put your hand next to your face. It's kind of that feeling. My eyes were closed, but it was almost, you can sense that. I'm not sure how. Yeah. And I just told myself, I am not opening my eyes no. <laughs> and I was able to fall asleep, but it was a very strong sense. So somewhat similar to what Holly, well, Holly and, and said. We've talked about this. We've talked about this before. It could very well be, I mean, just playing with the idea that it runs the gamut. When these things happen, it runs the gamut or the possibilities are everything from like a spirit, a ghost from the, in the, the classical sense, all the way up to you believing it so much that you're psychically influencing something to happen. And, and I include in that, I think a lot of experiences actually are people. So programming their brain to think that something's going to happen that they, for lack of a better word, hallucinate it. Well, as you think you are, yeah. My cousin's wife was talking about all that stuff. And I was thinking about that stuff and I'm in a house built in the late 1700s. How many people lived and died in that house? Right, right, right. And I think that, you know, affected the way I was thinking yeah. about it. So whether it was real or not, it felt real. And your mind is very powerful. It can yeah. generate things like, yeah. but I don't know why I felt, I mean, I don't have those kind of experiences, yeah. but I'm not saying it's real, but I'm just saying just uh, your sister mentioned that in her email that yeah. she felt that similar thing yeah. before she left the house. Well, and, and that's what I wanted to, I wanted to talk about a little bit is the, you know, she said how Connecticut could be so ghostly. In preparation for the show, I talked to my friend, a guy, a guy I've been friends with since I was about 11 years old, who, when we were teenagers, he worked in the library in town. It was an old building. They've since, you know, years ago, I think in the midnight or no, early 90s, they built a new library and, and that building still stands, but it's not as a library anymore. But I used to go to the library a lot. That was like a place of refuge for me, you know, as a kid, it, it, you know, there, I could almost be guaranteed that there were no other kids that were going to be there. So I knew I was going to be, and not have to be annoyed by anybody when I wanted to just be by myself. And I like reading and books and so forth, but it had a definitely creepy vibe. So since my friend worked there, he's very much a rational person. And I, I knew he probably would not have any kind of ghost story, but I asked him about it. And he said an interesting thing. He said, yes, that place was definitely creepy. He said it had that kind of new England feeling of creepy 
solitude. And I said, yes, I know exactly what you mean. I cannot count the times when I was a kid, when I'd ride my bike this time of year, it would be the quintessential October fall day, fall night. And I'd be riding my bike back from a friend's house and it'd be dark and silent. And it would feel, I would feel like Ichabod Crane. Like, uh, you know, uh, I would, which was based in New England. That, that yeah, it's is, in New York. The, yeah. It's fictional, but yeah. it was based in that area. Yeah, in that in that region in, in upstate New York, I believe. So in you know, and there's all sorts of stories that the library that I'm talking about was right next to an old graveyard with graves that went back to pre-colonial times. And that graveyard was next to an old mansion that had been abandoned and was built in the early 1800s and was an abandoned mansion has since been turned into a bed and breakfast and they renovated it. it looks completely different but when i was a kid it ha- it was the classical haunted mansion up on the hill dark broken windows gray <laughs> you know with a um a gazebo overgrown with plants and in a greenhouse that had been overgrown and everything i don't know why it became abandoned but it was for many 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 years yeah well it's funny when you you mentioned that new england solitude i think of the early colonies yeah i mean they were there alone yeah oh yeah there weren't many people around and there were some natives around but those colonies were a few hundred people a hundred people i mean they were small yeah so there must have been this sense of real isolation and loneliness in those first colonies and it sounds like that feeling exists in a sense to this day yeah we both Love Halloween. And, yeah. you know, I have some memories of Halloween too. And things were different back when we were kids. Uh, most people did the house to house trick or treating. Oh yeah. And none of my friends, we were kind of good kids. None of my friends really did tricks. I remember one of my neighbors, one of the girls I went to school with, she insisted her house was haunted. And I think I've mentioned this last year yeah. on our podcast, yeah, I but that. I would skip that like that house and the couple of houses. Cause it was overgrown by these huge English laurels and it was real secluded and kind of just creepy by the right. positioning of it. Yeah. So we would skip those three houses <laughs> and do all the houses around it. And you know, the fact she had insisted there was go were ghosts in her house probably helped me stay away from, from that particular area. So, and I just think this time of year, you know, it doesn't surprise me that there's, festivals and so forth that are around it coincides obviously with the end of the harvest and so forth and we're going to put up links too because um something i've noticed that went around the internet a bit was there's a photo of a, a museum uh like a traditional turnip jack-o'-lantern like we've talked about in the past yeah, turnips like, were the predecessor to the, the pumpkins, pumpkins. and it's from the early they t- would carve the turnips the picture that I'm thinking about is from uh, the early 20th century, but it was, you know, I think Irish immigrants had carved these, these, you know, turnips into, into jack-o'-lanterns. They probably found the pumpkins were easier to carve. <laughs> Although, have you carved a, have you carved a pumpkin? Yeah, recently? sure. I, I just did one, you know, a couple of weeks ago and man, it's harder than I remembered cutting it. Yeah. Well, the pumpkins can be about a, a thick uh, inch thick, right? Yeah, so yeah. you need to, it's yeah. a bit of a skill. Yeah. So, uh, but I definitely, we, we missed doing that last year. So I'm like, no, I'm, I'm doing it this year. We got one carved. I'm sure, I'm sure by the time, I think we were a little early. So I think by the time Halloween comes, it's going to be pretty collapsed. And that's a good memory for me of my childhood. My mom would buy pumpkins every Halloween yeah. and we would put down newspapers, which I don't see newspapers on much anymore, yeah. put down newspapers, open, you know, cut the top off and tear the guts and the seeds did, out. Did you, did and you that bake, was a great smell. Did you bake the seeds? 
My mom did. Yeah. You put salt on them. And yeah. Mom yeah, baked, baked the seeds sometimes. Yeah. Not every time. Yeah. And it was just that smell yep. and the, the leaves changing. And there's just something kind of exciting. And oh, we, yeah. we talked about this before. And yeah. It's the harvest and, you know, winter's approaching. Yeah. And uh, like we had our first storm yesterday here in oh, Seattle. Yeah. It was a real... 40 yeah, to 60 mile per hour gusts. And there's just something kind of cozy. You know, you want to light a fire and yeah. you know, you start to get in the, the home mode when the weather changes and, but it's still fun to go out. The weather's not terrible. Now, it's just kind of a fun time. Now, Greg, when you were a kid, the costumes that you wore for some reason, even though when I was a little kid, I think it began to change maybe around when I was junior high, I began to like enjoy and seek out, uh, uh, scary things, stories, movies, whatever. I would still, kind of regret sometimes like, you know, I'd watch something scary and then just be like, Oh man, I wish I hadn't done that. But when I was a kid, I, I really, I didn't like scary things. However, I think almost all with a couple of exceptions, almost all of my costumes were horror related or, or spooky related. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think one year I went as Spider-Man, but mostly I was like, <clears throat> excuse me, Frankenstein's monster. I was, uh, like creature from the black lagoon. I think some of it was my mom's influence because I think she liked that stuff. Mm-hmm. But what did you, what kind of costumes did you Gosh, have? you know, I don't remember. Well, well, I do remember going as a ghost one year. Yeah. So that's, there was that's an easy go-to costume. I think. Oh man. I don't remember, but I remember yeah. the ghost. Yeah. And when I was older in junior high or no high school, yeah. my mom dressed me up as princess Diana. And that was quite a unusual experience. <laughs> I would have preferred to go on as Frankenstein. In yes, I don't think I, I don't think I ever did the crowd, but a lot of, you know, a lot of kids do, I, you know, do <laughs> that's that. probably the only time in my life I've ever cross dressed <laughs> and the men gave me way too much attention. Oh, that's the, scary. Yeah. yeah. And the girls were, I was one of them. So it was a really odd. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, no, you, you found out about yourself though. I bet you there's, there's other young guys who have that experience and they find out something completely different. about themselves. <laughs> the other thing I remember is one time in the seventies, like, Every kid in my class, every boy in my class went as like a member of Kiss. They either had the more elaborate ones or they had the really cheapo, you know, so that the must have been 77 or 78. I think right it was like 77, then. something around there. And I remember there was a lot of Star Wars costumes. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 But I always went the, the Star. I love Star Wars. I was a Star Wars fanatic. But the Star Wars Halloween, so the Halloween of 77, right? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been 78. Yeah, the spring of 77, the movie came out. So. I remember that year. I remember what I went as. I went as the kind of classical Dracula with the cape, oh, yeah. the fangs, the white makeup. Well, not so long ago, you went as a kind of a devil. Oh yeah, there's Dracula. A here. There's a picture here in our current bunker of me and my girlfriend and her daughter all dressed kind of as demons. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like the the girl is a pirate. She was kind of a pirate demon. Oh, pirate. Demon. She does okay. combo. She okay. does combo. Costumes. Very creative. So at any rate, yeah. So I was always kind of somewhat drawn to that the macabre or the horror, ghostly sort of thing. Uh, so, what, so what do you do? You, do you remember any spooky Halloweens? Do you remember doing anything? Not really. You know, I mentioned that house in the neighborhood. I just kind of avoided. Yeah. Um, kind of similar to you, but not necessarily the fall time. But uh, I had a friend who lived about a mile away. Yeah, and between me and him was the cemetery. Oh yeah. So it was summertime usually, yeah. but it's still creepy when you're 14, riding yeah. a bike, 13, 14, riding a yeah. bike home through the cemetery. Well, not through the cemetery, but right next to the cemetery. Right. right. So I would want to hurry up to get home. Yeah. It's just, it's funny, you know, when you're younger, especially your 
imagination kind of runs away a little bit, even the summer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every once in a while I catch myself, uh, I used to work graveyard shift and I think this was actually one of the times I was filling in. It was after my graveyard shift stint and I was filling in on Halloween or around Halloween. And at the time, our the company I had had a security camera that went to a little black and white monitor that sat on my desk. And so I could see somebody, anybody coming up to the door of the, the room that I worked in. So it looked out on a hallway. And around that time, there were a lot of the American versions of the Japanese movies mm-hmm. coming out. This, you know, this might've been just post Halloween actually, because I think I was listening, I was listening to a show where a bunch of people were talk telling ghost stories. And I think I was listening to it as a podcast and I'm just sitting there with that monitor, listening to all these people's ghost stories, some creepier than others, uh, some better told than others. And my eyes kept going over to that monitor. And all I kept thinking of is the commercials I kept seeing for these American versions of Japanese horror movies, where there would be security camera footage and there would be that classical like Japanese girl with the dark hair hanging in front of her face. All of a sudden you see her on the security cam footage and then the next thing you see is her face right up in the, uh, <laughs> right up in the camera. And I, I had to, I'm like, my imagination is getting away with me. So I, I had to actually turn it off. I'm like, I, cause I'm, <laughs> and I just thought like, what if, what if cleaning people or something were in that I didn't know? And I happened to catch them in the hallway. I would freak the out. <laughs> so yeah, I still, still, even as an adult, I can let my imagination get away with me. But not as bad as when I was a kid though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, you know, what, what's the most, like, what's the, can you remember the time that your imagination has maybe gone well, the, the worst? Well, kind of similar to the uh, cemetery. I, I phrased that horribly. The, the, I know what you mean. Yeah. I think people understand what yeah. you mean. Similar to riding home near the cemetery. Yeah. When I was 12, a little bit younger, I had a paper out down the local park. Right. And it was down a hill and very wooded, windy road, kind of rural, very yeah. rural-esque. On the weekends, we delivered the papers in the morning. Let's see all the times. And a lot of times, you know, it'd be 4.30. You're down in the middle of this park at 4.30. I would ride my bike up that hill very fast to go home. Yeah. My, my home was at the top of the hill. Yeah. So I go down, do my papers. And when I was done, I would just skedaddle up that hill. <laughs> and once or twice, I saw I, I, like raccoons yeah. or possums. And one time, I think I saw a coyote. Oh, geez. And that really spooked me yeah. so that was that was a pretty spooky thing but I, there was one good benefit of that yeah. we had a uh a school-wide race yeah. a half mile race and i came in second in the whole school oh, nice. out of about 400 kids <laughs> because i was in such good shape from racing up that <laughs> hill every morning racing up in fear yes <laughs> my the thing i always imagined and, that, and that's such a kid thing where i remember i had a room in uh, when we lived in michigan where i had windows that went around two of the the walls so and you lived in michigan when you were younger before you younger till about uh you know from birth till about age 11 and before and then you moved to connecticut and then moved to connecticut and i remember i would i would i, would, I was had this thing where i'd have to get in a position where i was sleeping where i could not see the windows because i was i always thought like if i look at those windows which i did periodically i would see a face in them right which never obviously never happened and the you know the times in Connecticut what on my bike what my imagination would always carry me away to the thought of someone behind me 
Like at some mm-hmm. point, if I turned around and looked back, there might be someone there. There would be something there right behind me, which I, you know, that's a, I think that's a universal fear. Mm-hmm. There's an Arthur Conan Doyle story that he has, I think called the mummy actually, where it, it, it's almost like that. It's almost like a pursuit. And he's the author of Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, right. There was also a horror novel that I read when I was a kid. We picked it up on a trip. I was looking for something to read. And uh, this was about my teen years. And we were on a trip from Connecticut to Michigan driving trip. And I picked it up at a truck stop. uh, And it was just a, a pulp horror novel. I don't even know who the author was. Obviously, somebody very influenced by Stephen King, because I think, I think they even had their thing set in Maine. Oh. And it, it, there was this kid who, I don't remember the exact details of it, but at some point in the, in the novel, he, dis, he discovers an old like spa that was abandoned in the, in the 20s. I think the guy was really cribbing from, uh, uh, what's that Stephen King? The Shining. The Shining, yeah. And the kid decides to go explore it, and he goes in, and he goes in kind of during the evening time, and he gets too deep into the into the underground of this old abandoned spa that he can't see anymore. And he didn't bring a flashlight. So he gets into that thing. Would it be better to go through? Cause he knows the general size of the place or would, or should he double back? And he realizes I've gone kind of too far in this. That'll take longer for me to go back. So he pushes through and he gets to, and he's going through all what I thought the writer did well in that part of the novel. That was generally just a mediocre novel is he kind of follows the kid's thought process of like, oh my God, do I hear something behind me? Well, there's probably rats in here and stuff like that. But, you know, it, that fear of something yeah, behind him. Especially when and you're the, alone in the dark. And the kid, right when he gets to the point of like, oh my God, I'm not going to find my way out of here. He sees kind of gray light up ahead and he realizes, oh, that's the exit. And then he eventually makes his way up to the exit doors, you know, out of the the basement area up to the exit doors and he's relieved and he's like, it's just beginning. The sun is just beginning to set. And then he turns around and he sees his footprints in the dust because this place has been abandoned, but written in the dust as it says, don't come back, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is just like, that's genius because it's like, obviously something was following him all the way, all the way to the end. (laughs) Uh, when did you read that book? Oh, I was probably like 15. So it's or, been 14, a while. 15, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I could tell you what it was called. I don't, I don't remember. So we have a couple of creature features. Yeah. As we surf the net, social media, and, and news stories, we come across these various uh, stories about creatures. And one I think I sent to you, Andy, was this. Oh, uh, we're going to spare you and not read from the articles this time. Yeah. We're just going to talk about them, put the links. Yeah. Up. Yeah. So uh, there was a it, when I first saw the picture, it appeared that this spider was covering an entire garage door. <laughs> and when you compared the spider to the like side roll up garage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, roll up where there's these panels. Yeah. And when you looked at the spider and compared it to a panel, which you figure is about nine inches, yeah. that spider looked to be about nine inches big. Yeah. And he, it's like he was trying to catch a car coming out of the <laughs> garage. It was huge. Right. It really spooky. I'm saying, is that real? It looks so big. And there was clues that it looked not quite right. Right. So I thought, well, is it photoshopped or what's going on? So I did additional Googling and found that this indeed was a very large spider in England. I think it's a type of spider we have here. Right. It was about an inch. They think they yeah. said it ended up being an inch, which is big. Yeah. 
you know, for a spider, that's a good sized spider. But what the spider had done was weave, uh, weave its web between a car and the house. And they call him a pensioner, which someone we call a retired person. He took the picture. It was to the garage. So right. He took the picture and just the perspective made it look as though the spider was nine inches big and covering right. the entire garage and, door. And Greg and I were talking about this. You'll see these periodically, particularly on the internet. Like there was one a few years ago of somebody who killed a wild boar mm-hmm. or a, a feral pig or right, something like that. Right in the South. And the way they took the picture, the guy was probably, my guess is he was probably maybe about like seven feet back from the from the pig itself. So the thing looks like it's 20 feet long. <laughs> so yeah, you always have to watch out for that. that Hogzilla. Yeah. I think they called Hogzilla. it Hogzilla. Hogzilla, yes. that's right. It was a huge. Board. It was something like 600, 700 pounds. pounds. Right. But the way they positioned the hunter, yeah. it made it look like 1200 or, you know, two ton, <laughs> a ton. Pig. So, so that's, yeah, that's one of those things. Perspective. You always have to be And especially with. nowadays with, the really good software everyone can get their hands on for fairly inexpensive yeah. Photoshop. Yeah. You have to be skeptical. The internet oh God, yes. should make it make you skeptical. And remember the nineties, Andy, when uh, the internet was first kind of coming out and people would just swallow the biggest, craziest things. Yeah. They still do. They still yeah. do. Yeah. But uh, we I were, think people are a little more skeptical. Hopefully, hopefully. And we were just, we were just looking at, you know, just kind of poking around, looking for some ideas to talk about. And I, there's some ridiculous, but fun stuff. I mean, yeah. if you look for, you know, as long as you don't take it seriously, I think it's something yeah. pretty Yeah, Andy fun. and I start going down the rabbit hole a little bit on, yeah. on, on kind of these stories. So there was that big spider in England that actually made, I think I saw that on, someone posted on Facebook. Right, right. In the mirror, I think it was the mirror, that a uh, big newspaper in the England newspaper did a story yep. on it. And they did the... Uh, expose on it you know yes. no that's not a, a foot long spider that's yeah. an inch spider but it was big yeah and the guy said well good thing i found it because my wife would have really freaked out if she'd walked <laughs> it did look like a large web like yeah. five feet wide yeah, and a yeah. big web yeah so this was a good size spider but not not horrifically big <laughs> and then we had another spider story yes yeah, so, uh, yeah uh, you, you'd seen some pictures i've seen some pictures of them before i think they're the world's largest spider but there was one that was going around just because it's around halloween and we'll We'll post that as well of this. They say they compare the, the spider to the size of a small dog, puppy, a puppy. small puppy. Yeah. And it is big. And it's I think it's like a bird. It's like a bird spider, or mm-hmm. bird eating spider or something like that. And it's so how big of, would that be? The size of your of a, I think a man's the, fist? I think maybe. About the size of your fist. I mean, that's big because yeah. tarantulas are big, but they're not quite as yeah. big as your fist. And, uh, you know, Greg was asking me, he's like, is this a recent discovery? And, and I think it's been a long time since I've seen it. But I think they actually show them and talk about them in the movie Arachnophobia in the very beginning of the movie. Because if you remember, they're in South America and they talk about the bird spiders. And I, I don't know if they show a fake one or whatever, but they talk about how big they are yeah. and everything. So they actually have webs that catch birds or do they somehow so. pounce on a bird, you know? I th- I don't know if they're caught in the webs or not. I'm sorry. Okay. I don't know. Okay. But uh, Andy pointed out that it's not a poisonous spider, but something that big is going to be able to bite you pretty good. Yeah. If it that bit would, you, like they, that I would think hurt. I even read somebody talking about it and he's like, the bite hurts like hell. Yeah. But it, it's not going to kill you. It's probably they're not, not, they're not toxic or, or venomous, venomous. venomous. Uh, but just, uh, especially uh, females of our species tend to not like spiders. Yeah. I, so that's I know a couple guys pretty who creeper. are pretty creepy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big spider fan, yeah. but I don't freak out. Uh, I remember one time, this is kind of funny, my brother was single uh, for a while and he's living alone and he saw a giant spider in his living room 
And he said he was like approaching the spider and it started chasing him. <laughs> and he ran, it's not like he ran. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. Yeah. I don't think I'll get in trouble for telling that story. Yeah. But uh, some of those house spiders, uh, they call them wolf spiders, wolf spiders yeah, here yeah. in Seattle yeah. area and probably many other areas. But they can be kind of aggressive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine what's the equivalent of us chasing like a, a 30 foot King Kong creature? <laughs> the closest, I mean, that takes some guts, right? The closest I can think of is chasing a grizzly bear. But yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> so the spiders got some guts. Yeah. The, the uh, wolf spider. Well, and spiders are weird insects too, because they be, are they officially an insect? I, believe they're an insect okay. but they, be, they behave differently from all the other insects that i can think of you know they just they seem to have a, a different type of agency mm-hmm. you know uh they seem to have a confidence i mean they yeah, build yeah, a yeah. web and just sit there and wait for things to fly into yeah. it so, like, so certain confidence with so spiders. and then uh greg hadn't seen this but uh we will also post the video of this a fisherman um i think in like indonesia or something like that yeah i think it said indonesia, indonesia caught this weird tentacled multi-tentacled creature it's not a squid. And this thing, it, it it's, uh, what, what do you say? It's about like two feet? It's, it was hard to see the scale, but it looked to be about two feet. And this, and we looked at the video before the show. It was one of the weirdest things I have ever seen. It yeah. really looked very alien. Imagine a, very whole creepy. Of, <clears throat> a whole bunch of little tentacles all moving and writhing. And I think the uh, title said it was a hundred tentacles. Yeah. I mean, the thing was very spooky and repulsive just because it looked so alien. Yeah. Yeah. And once again, like, you know, at least when Greg and I do the, these creature features, a lot of our stuff, they're just unusual animals. Like we, you know, when we dig it out, I don't think we've had one. We've maybe had a couple where it's like, wasn't identified, but the Montauk creature, we talked about that some time back and, you know, that appeared to be a real carcass, but yeah. no one could definitively identify what kind right. of carcass that was. And, and I think with this thing, what a lot of the commenters were saying is that it's a basket starfish. Basket starfish. Basket starfish. Oh, it looks so alien and bizarre. It's yeah. probably not a common starfish. It didn't even look like a starfish to me it, yeah. because it, it just looked like a series of tentacles. Isn't it weird, really the reaction? Odd. Isn't it strange? Because I had the same reaction when you see something so unusual looking. You have like a visceral reaction to it, like like a um, like almost kind of like a you want to pull away. Oh, it's very yeah. repulsive. Yeah. It's very something about our nature likes things that are like us. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I'd say that's probably or at least they're acceptable. Like yeah. monkeys don't repulse us. Yeah, they're acceptable. They're a little different. And look at, have you ever met a monkey? <laughs> I have not. But when I see a monkey on TV, I don't, I'm not repulsed. Right, right, right. Yes. We're accustomed to dogs. They're furry. They have four limbs and they have a mouth and a nose. You know, they're yeah. different, but similar to us. But when yeah. you see something that looks like out of the movie Aliens, yeah, it's just inherently kind of repulsive. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe that's the same reaction with spiders because spiders yeah. are very different. You yeah. know, eight legs and big bulbous body sections yeah. and I they they think, weave a web. I mean, it's so different. Than, do you think that's why the the, the aliens, because there's different versions of them, the aliens from the aliens movie, the movie, uh, the various alien movies. Do you think that's why they're there's they've retained such an iconic status is because they have they clicked in the designer was um, I know I'm, I mispronounce his name every time. But as an artist, he recently died. He artist and sculptor in his name was who created a, the alien. creature. Yeah, he created the concept of them. His name is H.R. Giger, Geiger, I can never Whatever. remember. I think it's I think it's Giger. Uh huh. And he he did he he also did the uh, design for the creature in Species. I didn't see that one. Is that what it was? Species. I think that's the alien one. The alien design. You know, 
has yeah, it's, it's almost like the skeleton is on the outside of mm-hmm. the body. It has kind of insectoid sort of kind of reptilian, reptilian slash insectoid sort of features to it. And I, I wonder if that's why that's that's become yeah. such an iconic monster. Oh, yeah, it's very repulsive, very scary. And spitting acid doesn't help. Yeah, spitting acid no. that like eats through your skin and through metal. So that movie came out, what, 1979? I think so, the original. So there's a there's a perfect example. When I was a kid, I was like in 79 i was probably still a kid that would have been scared of stuff like that i probably would have never dared see the movie alien but they had a do you remember they had a toy they had the alien toy <laughs> and i wanted that thing so bad oh you did i did i don't it was like why. a doll uh, yeah it was model? a figure and it, and it was kind of big for an action figure uh i I'm, I'm guessing it was about like 12 inches tall uh i'll do a search on i'll do a search on ebay because i'm sure and it, it has become a collectible thing and I think part of the reason it's become a collectible thing is I think it was one of those deals where they came up with a toy before realizing like, oh, this is not going to be a movie that a lot of kids are going to watch. So, you know, it was one of those things where it's it's a little bit hard to find yeah. it now. Yeah. Well, this is totally unplanned, Andy, yeah. but I don't think I told you, but I sat down and decided I wanted to watch a classic science fiction movie I haven't seen since I was a uh-huh. kid. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, yeah, yeah. And just I'll quickly discuss this because there's a couple things that were striking to me. Yeah. First of all was the talking computer, right? How 9,000 he's like, what yeah. he's a protagonist antagonist. Yeah. Antagonist. Yeah. In the movie, you know, my, I just got a new uh, Google phone, Android phone, and it has an assistant very similar to Siri. Yeah. So watching that movie in <laughs> the talking computer, maybe th- they really kind of hit that on the I'm head. I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. <laughs> I guess Hal is a little more advanced than our computers because it was actually they they were debating whether it was sentient and right, intelligent. Right. So that was interesting. And also on the scene of the movie where they're heading to Jupiter, the two men on board were watching the interview of themselves right, on the BBC. Right. And what I, I pointed this out to a couple friends and it kind of blew their minds. They are watching the interview on iPad like things. Oh, they have these pads. It's been a long time since I've seen them. They have these pads, probably like a foot by half a foot, yeah. that were showing the video. You know, who knows what they were supposed to be in the movie? They might have been just video councils. Right, right. But when you see it, you think the first thing you think of is, uh, you know, pad, iPad, whatever. Oh, that's funny. So to me, it's like, wow, they really nailed that. Because yeah. p- pads, now we're talking 2001, which is 13 years ago, but you, I you think know, pads were just starting to come yeah, in at that and then point. The next iteration I can think of where in science fiction, they were using something that would be akin to like a, a, a smart pad is Star Trek, the next generation. Yeah. They would walk around with those. Yeah. They were essentially like iPads. Well, even the original Star Trek, remember she'd get a signature on, it was a thicker oh, yeah. thing. So it was yeah. kind of like that, yeah. but watching 2001 was really amazing. Also they had video phones. Remember when the doctor went to the orbiting space station yeah. and yeah. he called home and his daughter answered and they had right. a video phone, you know, although video phones have been kind of a staple of science fiction for sure. a while. Sure. What, what's cool about 2001 is the timing. Cause we yeah. probably did have video phones in Oh yeah. one, right? They yeah. were just probably the internet was only about five years really popular right, right. and i think probably had internet uh, video phones by then or yeah, very early video, video phones so i was thinking how the computer technology was pretty close the yeah. video phones the ipads the hal 9000 talking computer but what i'm very disappointed in andy i'm sure you can empathize is where's our moon base 
That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. We have all these computers, but we don't have a moon base or our orbiting space station is nowhere as cool as the one I they have on, I, on the, on the, uh, I think movie. what it was is the, the people who were writing science fiction at that time and making movies given the pace of the, the space race at that time, it probably looked like we were going to do that. But at some point, I, I think maybe, I don't know, 70s, it probably really just started kind of grinding well, to a When the America real, won the space not a race. Halt, but a slowdown. Yeah. Well, America essentially won the space race by yeah. going to the moon. And at that point, I think people kind of lost interest. And we did space shuttle for, I mean, right. that was cool and it was useful and we right. did science with it, but it just didn't go that next step to yeah. the moon or yeah. to the Mars. So, and the focus, the focus, which there's, there's a good argument for it, but the focus has been on, um, you know, telepresence, robotic exploration of the, yeah. of our, you know, solar system, solar system. It's not really necessary to send people, but I think, I think people, when, when it's actual human beings going out there and doing it, I think people are able to connect to that more or it's more exciting or it's, it, it makes more sense to people. Oh yeah. Well, it's funny about the time aliens came out in 1979 when I had a paper out, I would have these kind of, I was a geek and I still am. I'd have these kind of weird fantasies that when I was an adult, I would work on a space station. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, me, and I would kind of go back and forth too. to the space yep. station. Yep, exactly. That I, yep. hasn't come well, to fruition. Well, they were telling us that's that's what yeah. would be happening. Yeah, I yeah. thought. I thought you know. Yeah, it sounds like the perfect job for me. <laughs> I don't know what I'd be doing. So that was an unplanned Rain City bunker detour, but I, I <laughs> had to mention that because it was so much fun watching that movie. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, and when that was amazing in itself, like I decided, oh, I want to watch two thousand one. Look it up on the internet. Oh, Amazon wants two ninety nine. Well, I want it for free. Google some more. Oh, I found it for free. Yeah, <laughs> I won't ask. Where you find it for free. <laughs> no, I think it was legal. Well, I just streamed it, so yeah. you know, if it was legal, someone else was doing the illegal part. <laughs> so anyway, I, I thought I'd mention that just because the cool vision of the future that kind of, in some ways, was pretty close. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, do we have anything anything more? That's about it. So that do you have any big plans? Do you know what you're doing on Halloween? It's on a Friday this year. No plans. I'll probably yeah, me, uh, me neither. Not that I know of. I think we might have some party or something. Yeah, and to. you're in a townhouse, so you don't yeah. get trick or treaters, right? right? The neighborhood does. Um, and we might. I don't know what the plans are. I don't know if we were going to be in the neighborhood for Halloween. Okay, so I'm not sure. And uh, I don't know what my plans are. I'll probably be at home giving out candy, yeah. which is kind of fun, you know. Yeah. And parents nowadays always parents accompany the children. Yeah. Not like the wild seventies and eighties when the kids went out on their own, like us, <laughs> almost always a parental unit right. standing nearby yeah. unless the teenagers come, which is rare, but teenagers yeah. sometimes come and they don't have parents, Yeah, but it's, it, it's well, fun though. Parents, but they don't want to be right. And they're usually really cute kids, yeah. you know, dressed yeah. up and it, it's kind of fun. And I, you know, I, I got to hurry up and carve my pumpkin, yeah. do a pumpkin and it's just fun. Yeah. It's and kind I've of a been, fun tradition. I, I, you know, around this time of year too, I've been, I've read a, horror novel it was really fun i'd take too long to talk about it i've been you know stephen king audiobooks that i got from the library and just just the general time of year is when i do that kind of thing you know yeah you know I, I haven't gotten into the horror genre so much yeah. I'm, I'm too scientific and rational i read biographies yeah. and history yeah. but there's plenty there's some creepy stuff i read uh, about killing lincoln which is kind of creepy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not necessarily halloweeny yeah. but it's just kind of violent and well, you, say, you you were saying that the um and I've, I've read this too that lincoln had um apparently prophetic dream about his assassination that he told people about yes he did and what one quick thing is he had this young bodyguard who he really liked who did the night shift right before lincoln went to bed and every night lincoln would say 
something like see you tomorrow yeah but the last time he saw him he said goodbye or something it was something more definitive more final than just see you tomorrow uh so that's we, won't, a, we won't do that we will say see you next time we will see you next time and uh, that's our halloween episode episode 26 so happy halloween from greg moon and andy happy halloween <laughs> <laughs>